All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 108. It is Tuesday night, and we like to hear from you. My name is Bob Ekhayeri. We're going to be joined by my regular co-host, J.D. Moore. And let's see. We're ready to hear from you. So if you want to talk about what's going on in college football, obviously there's a lot going on with the latest CFP rankings. We've got Maxion going on right now. There's a lot to talk about. So we want to hear from you. If you'd like to join the conversation, just go ahead and hit request. J.D., are you with us? Yes, I am here. Happy Tuesday night to you all. We've obviously got the newest batch of rankings in. And finally, we've got some undefeated teams up at the very top. The top four teams, the last remaining undefeated teams in the country. I don't think I have any qualms on it tonight. Very weirdly enough. Very pleased to see this result. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have a couple of callers uh, who will be uh, very happy to talk about that as well. But no, so far so good uh, on this Tuesday evening. Yeah, I think the biggest controversy so far has been UCLA, whether or not they're ranked too low for their current sc- – I mean, because right now the, it's easy to compare USC and UCLA. They both have one loss in the Pac-12. They both have played Utah, and that's been something that's been an issue because obviously UCLA – oh, actually, I see we have a couple of callers, so we'll go ahead and let people up. But, I mean, that I know has been one of the things in our own damp. Rijoles was on the call and actually got in a question that's gotten some attention on Twitter because – He's the one who asked about the difference between those two teams. And Boo Corrigan basically said the one-point loss by USC at Utah going for two and the motion of that game was something that they took into account. But, hey, we've got someone up here. We'd love to hear from you, JCR1216. We go through everyone as we can, so be patient. We'll try to get to everyone. But, yeah, feel free to unmute. We'd love to hear from you. Well, hello there. Um, How's your day going, though? Good. How's yours? That's going well. I saw that my Tar Heels were ranked in the top 15. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and they're, they're, you know, 15's not bad. It's it's within, you know, we talked a little bit about North Carolina before, and it's kind of one of those interesting teams where if they win completely out, I think some things would have to break their way, but it's not totally outside the realm of possibility. It's a little disappointing to see them ranked so low for a one-loss team, but at least they're ranked. What do you think, J.D.? Uh, it's definitely interesting, and I think one weird thing that nobody really knows what to do with North Carolina really has to stem with the fact that we haven't seen a true consistency of what this North Carolina team is. We have a lot of close wins, and then, of course, their one loss is the blowout loss to Notre Dame, which I think for a long time had been long affected of, like, you know, oh, well, they lost to Notre Dame, who also lost to Marshall, who also lost to Stanford, who got blown out by Ohio State, and it really kind of brought down that national perspective perception of North Carolina for quite a while. Uh, but, I mean, just as Bobak said, uh, I think right now they're going to need a lot of help. Uh, I think they'll still be behind. Even if they win out, they'll be behind a Pac-12 champion because you've got USC, UCLA, and Oregon all looking great right now in the Big 12. Uh, kind of that's TCU's show right now, so you need some help there. Uh, and given that Tennessee is still hanging around at number five, uh, you know, I could see a world where North Carolina could go with a one loss on the season and then gets pushed out by Tennessee by the end of the season. Uh, but again, when it comes down to North Carolina, I think it's just a lot of people don't know what to make of them. I mean, this is the team that had the, uh, you know, both teams scoring more than 60 and barely hung on to beat App State at the start of the season. One score game against Georgia State one-score game against Miami, who has turned out to be a dreadful Miami this year, one-score game against Virginia, one-score game against Duke, 
And then you obviously have the loss to Notre Dame where you're losing by double digits on that one. So we'll see what they look like, especially at the end of the season when they've got North Carolina State, which, you know, the Wolfpack looks really stout right now. Georgia Tech is starting to get pesky, wildly enough, with this interim coach. And then next week, or actually this Saturday, uh, they've got that competition against Wake Forest, which should settle a couple of things. But yeah, I mean... If this is a team that runs the table, I think they're going to need some kind of help if they want to get in the playoff. But I think right now, if you want to get that ACC spot for a New Year's Six game, I think North Carolina is looking pretty dang good for that. I mean, I am open to selling my soul to get UNC into the college football playoff. <laughs> but Drake Mays, <clears throat> Drake Mays, still young. Yeah, I mean, kind of like what Jamie touched on is, I think the story with uh, UNC this season is just they play to the level of their competition consistently. You know, there's only a couple of games this year where they haven't done that. So I think that's kind of the real tricky part with it is when you fly that close to the sun and you're not putting teams away and not blowing out more or less bad teams, that it always kind of feels like, you know, this is all going to come apart at some point during the season. So I think that's probably why a lot of voters, um, why the committee's a little leery on them still right now. They're not quite getting as much respect as you would expect for an 8-1 and one team. But it, it's just kind of the position that they're in. If they win, then that kind of settles your questions. Um, and then it's just a matter of what everybody else does. Yeah. Especially with a team like UNC. <clears throat> I've seen them play a lot this year. Their biggest problem is that defense led by Gene Chisnick. They've had some bright moments this year, but I don't like going to every single game with a heart attack, especially that Virginia game last week. I legitimately thought since, you know, Virginia's always had our number. I'm scared about that Tech game. That Tech game is going to be like a... a, a just... Ugh, I hate Georgia Tech. Ugh. But Clemson <laughs> looked beatable. Clemson looks beatable, which I was scared about because my birthday is near the uh, ACC championship, and I live in North Carolina, so I, I might be able to go to that. That'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, this has also been another weird year where we've had Clemson look, you know, somewhat mortal. This isn't the national championship buzzkill uh, that has been dominating the ACC for so long. This is a team that, once again, that offense looks very, very... Uh, you know, not the superstar lineup that you had typically expected to see. DJ has been benched a couple of times in games because they couldn't get anything started in this Notre Dame game. They took so long to just even get on the scoreboard. Uh, it was just absolutely incredible to see how incompetent that offense was. And especially with a team like North Carolina, I mean, Dean Chizik, for all of his faults as a defensive coordinator, you know, he's really helped out by this offense that is consistently putting up points. I mean, they They've had only one game this season uh, where they did not score at least 31 points. Several of their games have been 40-point games, 50-point games, even the 60-point game that you had against Appalachian State. Uh, My so mom I, was at State. Oh, really? Sorry. Yeah, so that so we made it. She made she kept joking about that game against UNC where App beat UNC in Chapel Hill. So um, I had like multiple heart attacks during that App State game. <laughs> Hey, listen, I know that you are not alone, especially with how uh, firepower that was and the absolute bananas hystericalness that happened in the fourth quarter. And then for App State to lose so closely in that game uh, was an absolutely incredible game uh, that happened early in this season. But, you know, JCR1216, uh, really appreciate the call and the opportunity to talk about the uh, Carolina Tar Heels for a moment. 
Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, Y'all have a great rest of your day, and uh, go Heels. Absolutely. Good luck this weekend for the Heels. Hey, John, it's good to see you again. How you doing, good. man? Hey, sorry uh, for falling asleep last time. <laughs> my bad. Um, <laughs> hey, so my question is, um, as really as relating to uh, someone definitely on the hot seat of coaching, um, Nick Saban. Now it's a joke. But um, so, you know, as you guys probably saw over the weekend, you know, Nick, uh, Alabama lost for the second time uh, during the regular season, which is a cardinal sin in the state of Alabama, apparently. And of course, you know the the typical narrative. I think you know comes up every single time they, any time the when the very rare occurrence that they have two losses. So is this it for Nick Saban? Does Nick Saban need to need to go? Is this is this the is this the bottom half of like of Alabama football? Which you know I roll my eyes at every single time the conversation occurs. Um, but on a fair point, Nick Saban is also in a coach in the seventies. That's pretty that's pretty much checked every single box. I think you uh, coach really needs a hit at this point in his career so i guess my question to you guys is is are we hitting a point that we now have to really have a serious like have a serious look at, at how many years we have left with nick saban i think it's always fair to ask how many more years we're going to get of uh, some of these older coaches and really the question is how the end of their career is going to finish up because we've seen some coaches that try to hang on for too long. Um, not many of them are able to pull a Bob Stoops and, you know, ride out at pretty much the height of what they're doing. But I think the big question with Nick Saban is that he's proven that he can manage, uh, you know, a high-level program like this. We know that. That's not in question. I think the big question is the fact that he's had this revolving door of assistants and coordinators for years because of that success. And a lot of people are really unhappy with uh, Bill O'Brien right now. And if he comes back another year, because I think if you watch the games, it's really easy to say Bryce Young deserves a better team. As outlandish as that six like sounds, you know, at the surface um, when you're talking about Alabama and what they traditionally put on the field. But this team especially, they aren't the characteristic Alabama team. They're sloppy. They're undisciplined. You're not getting the consistent play that you expect. And really, Bryce Young is having to dig them out of a lot of holes. And, and sometimes he's not given the chance. All his players aren't, aren't able to make the plays that they need for – what he can do to actually show through. So I think that's the biggest question facing Alabama is what is he going to do with his staff? Um, is he going to make the changes that are necessary, but it looks like they're necessary from an outsider's perspective. And what is this Alabama staff going to look like in 2023? Because it doesn't seem like Saban's ready to retire and he doesn't seem like the kind of person who's ready for this to be the new last season if he quits voluntarily, um, if he retires on his, on his own conditions. So what changes is, are, what changes will he make next year? And will that fix things? Or is there more of an underlying issue? Uh, because we have seen some great coaches who lost their touch at the end. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about Phil Fulmer got a raw deal at Tennessee. Phil Fulmer had kind of gotten lazy on the recruiting trail. Um, was like a really high talented recruits in their backyard get away from them and then he lost some games that he never should have lost and 
a lot of it came back to who his coordinators were, were they able to keep him afloat, and when they left, it all fell apart. So it'll be interesting to see the changes that he makes for next season, and just as much if he chooses to keep some of these staff members on, despite some pretty glaring deficiencies. I'm just going to say, I admit I'm a little hesitant to write off Nick Saban just for one season like this. I think I'd give him quite a bit more you know, leeway because there's so much that goes on. He's got a, basically an NFL factory, and he loses players. And Granted, he reloads really well, but we've seen how he'll tweak things, and the team will come back. So every once in a while, I could see with Alabama the way they are now. Huh, gosh, I mean, what I... Take them. I mean, it seems like at this point they're, you know, with Ole Miss, Austin P, and Auburn, I expect them to have a strong chance to win out. I mean, Ole Miss could beat them. It's certainly possible. And I'm sure Lane Kiffin would like a lot, uh, nothing better than to do that. But I think a two loss season or, or even a three loss season once in a while for Alabama is not that. In my mind, is not Nick Saban losing his touch, at least not for me. I'm not quite willing to reach that point. I know, for example, you know, the last coach that was seeming to be, I don't know, dyna- uh, dynastic was probably, you know, Pete Carroll. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, Dabo, of course, as well, but he's still active on the college level. But with Carroll, too, I remember everyone wanted to keep writing it off when they'd have a bad season. Then the next season, they'd come in and, and do quite well and finish pretty high in the, in the pre-playoff era. So sometimes with these guys, it's like, they're not going to be perfect every year because it is the transition of college and the constant churn. But someone like Saban, he pulls in talent. Uh, you know, John Talty, I still love that book he wrote in explaining what his secret was in terms of building on, you know, class after class. His entire focus is recruiting first and, and coaching second. You know, J.D., I know you wanted something to add to this. Yeah, I think one of the other curious things that, you know, anytime we hear the is the Bama dynasty dead or does Nick Saban need to hang it up, uh, there's always the interesting thing of, you know, this is a very, very rare time for Nick Saban to ever get blown out in a game or to look like uh, he isn't uh, in control. And you got to remember, this is, yes, a two loss season, but right now the two losses are to two top 10 teams by a grand total of four points. And we've got people who are saying, hey, you know, is it time for the greatest coach of all time to hang it up? Because, you know, we're now in November and Alabama might be out of the playoff race. I mean, that's one of the things that's always been crazy to me about Nick Saban is, you know, no other coach is going to step up in this place and perform at the level, not just the way that he has, but the way that he continues to have. Like Alabama is a top 10 team right now. And people are saying, well, guess Alabama's all done. Do you know how many teams would absolutely fall head over heels and just absolutely slaughter themselves to try to make sure that they could be in the top 10 in any playoff ranking, let alone when Alabama drops down to the bottom of the top 10 and people are saying, hey, is it time to change the regime? I think right now there are very few Alabama fans who realistically look at this, and especially when you consider the out-of-state uh, tuition that now comes to the University of Alabama, the amount of capital improvements that have happened because of Nick Saban and football. I can't imagine that this is going to be a world that you know Alabama is going to try to push Nick Saban out the door especially given you know again two losses this season to two top 10 teams 
by a grand total of four points. And again, both are on the road. Uh, I think this is definitely, you know, a quote unquote down year for Alabama. But man, what a foundation to have a quote unquote down year when your bad season is, eh, you know what? We lost to two top 10 teams by four points and we're probably going to go to the Citrus Bowl, maybe an outside shot at a New Year's Six game. Just, just to be clear, I'm not saying that I think that Nick Saban is done by any means. I will say that the way they've lost these games bring up some really interesting questions about this program and how it's being managed because Bama's lost to really great teams before and they've lost on flute plays before. But right now, currently, they are dead last in FBS. 128th is what they're tied for when it comes to penalties per game. And they're 124th in penalty yards per game. You go back to the Tennessee game. Yeah, they lost by three points. They also had 130 yards worth of penalties. Against LSU, they had almost 100 yards of penalties. That's what's got me raising some questions here because the discipline level that you expect. And, I mean, the jokes were being made after the Tennessee loss that it was an undisciplined team. They were racking up penalties. Saban was going to chew them out. There were going to be guys running until they puked. And they've learned their lesson, and they haven't. The offensive line quality is so much lower this year compared to past years. And I think that that's really, for me, what sets this question about Saban and what he's doing and what his staff are doing, apart from in past years where they've gotten a loss that was kind of unexpected or something like that, whereas this seems like there's more of a systemic issue going on that it's going to take some staff turnover to fix because whatever they're doing right now, it's not working because they haven't fixed this problem that is glaringly obvious all season long. And yeah, LSU and Tennessee are top 10 right now. If they'd lost Alabama instead of one, they probably wouldn't be. Tennessee might, but LSU would not. So that's kind of where I'm sitting at in terms of is this – Alabama season different? Does it raise different questions for for Alabama? I'm not saying they have a Nick Saban problem. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but things need to be changed. And if they don't, then that's going to raise some questions next year when you're going to have player turnover and it's going to be a lot more uncertain. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have, uh, thank you all for your answers. I've, I think the last point I wanted to make is I know that, you know, there's questions of Nick Saban, but I imagine there's 128 other teams. I'd love to have Nick Saban as their coach instead um, of what they have right now. For the, <laughs> but thanks, you guys. Thank you, man. Hey, Dave, you've been really patient. What's up? I'm having some fun today um, because I just hopped out of a space talking about some of the coaching opportunities, the coaching options for uh, U- University of South Florida. And one name that was brought up is the current coach for Florida A&M, Coach Willie Simmons, and I want to hear your thoughts about that. Um, you know, considering the type of challenges that historically black colleges and universities, let me be clear, I'm, gonna, I'm an historically black college and university alum. I went to North Carolina A&T State University. Um, so with the opportunity, with the fact that his name is being brought up as an option to be the head coach of the University of South Florida, I wanted to hear your thoughts. 
You know, that sounds like an attractive hire only because I agree. I think for a school like South Florida, they're going to have to they're not going to be competing with some of these other programs on the market right now. And as you pointed out, there is just some incredible talent right now in HBCU football. Sure. Yeah. Everyone's looking at Dion and he's he's earned it. I mean, I can't I can't say he hasn't. But you're right. I mean, because you're talking about Connell Maynard, right? No, Willie Simmons. Willie Simmons. He's the he's the head coach of uh, Florida right now. Oh, Florida. Florida. Oh my God, I was thinking of Alabama and M because you know they're not. No, no, no. Yeah, Maynard, I was like, oh no, no, no. No, 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 no. A and T, A and T's coach is saying Watson Maynard did go to North Carolina A but um, A and T's. Um, we're talking about Willie Simmons for Florida. Oh man, you know that's a really good point. You know. Because first of all, you're right. I think Willie Simmons definitely fits been better only because he knows the recruiting. He knows what to do there. And he's been just a solid winner there for, you know, consistently since before the pandemic, he got them built up. Obviously, the pandemic kind of knocked everyone down there for a season. But they came right back. And I mean, I remember last season. That was a hell of a season, you know, going all the way to the first round of the playoffs, which is kind of one of those funny things when you don't get into the celebration bowl, you actually get a chance to play in the playoffs as an HBCU, as we saw with, you know, North Carolina A&T that one year, as well as Florida A&M before, of course, before North Carolina A&T moved out of the, uh, out of the MEAC. So I think that would be an interesting call. You know, I've always been fascinated why Florida A&M, they had, you know, some folks may remember that kind of abortive move up to FBS that was really half-baked. They didn't do a good job, I think, of planning it out. But especially in this environment where you got conferences, I think, like, you know, especially Conference USA and a few others that would love to add an extra team, I'm surprised Rattlers haven't been tempted to move up again. I mean, maybe they just got, you know, not to, to put too much of a pun on it, snake bit by that last time. But if they don't, I don't think there's any reason why someone like Willie Simmons wouldn't be attractive at, at USF because he knows the area. He can win at a program that isn't, you know, demand. Because I was that part. Of, I always wonder, was that part of the problem with Charlie Strong and, uh, you know, and, and Willie Taggart? Although Willie Taggart did fine enough. I mean, he didn't really stick around there to do much. But with Charlie Strong, you know, it's clearly that didn't work out well for them. And I wonder if that's sort of although he had been successful at Louisville before he went over to Texas. I don't know, J.D., I know you had some thoughts on this. Yeah, so I think one of the big things, you know, for Coach Simmons is he went to Florida A&M at a time that they were at a really, really, really difficult time for the program. Uh, gets in in 2017. Uh, they've been really struggling. They even went through their own conference transition uh, when they went ahead and they ended up joining, uh, you know, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. And, you know, they took off uh, that first season and they went nine and three. And now overall, you know, Coach Simmons is 51 and 23. And last year he's getting Florida A&M into the top 25 of the FCS rankings. Uh, and, you know, uh, he's got a massive win streak that's happening right now in Tallahassee as well. The 14 games that he's won up there, uh, it continues to show a lot of really strong life. He's been able to make a lot of lemonade out of lemons. And he's one of those guys of, you know, if you want to take a guy uh, that can help develop players to get into the NFL, I mean, you got, uh, Marquez Bell, uh, who, you know, he was the first guy in, I think, almost about a decade to get from Florida A&M to an NFL roster. Uh, and that's a kind of guy that, that USF really needs right now. Somebody who not just knows the area, but knows how to dig up a program and make it succeed and build a really strong, successful foundation under it. Like one of the big things that everybody had with, uh, you know, you had Charlie Strong there who uh, had fa fallen out of Texas and kind of uh, done the cash out. Uh, when he goes and uh, 
tries to take that opportunity at USF. They kind of falter off, especially after that seven-game win streak to start. Uh, but then they bring in Jeff Scott, who, you know, he's this lauded coordinator from Clemson. He comes down, and he only goes 4-26, and uh, and he has only one win against FBS competition. USF is in a very, very bad spot right now, and they need to get creative for whoever this next hire is going to be. Now, I love what Coach Simmons has done for HBCU football. I love what he's done for the Rattlers at Florida A&M. But if he wants to take the jump up to the next step and USF is willing to talk, I think he might be a fantastic out-of-the-box candidate for USF. Now, plenty of other people have been speculating on a couple of other opportunities. I've seen a lot of names come up from the uh, MAC, like I know uh, Sean Lewis has been thrown out there. We've seen Jason Candle floated out there. Uh, some people have decided, you know, maybe we try the retread one more time where they want to consider someone like a Dan Mullen. I don't think that's necessarily a great idea. But if we're going to look for someone else, uh, you know, Dave, I firmly agree. I think this is going to be a great opportunity if Willie Simmons wants to jump up to the next level. But as Bobak said, I think he's building something incredible at Florida A&M. And if he really wants to elevate this brand of football, uh, I think he's been a fantastic hire at Florida A&M, and I'd love to see him continue to raise up the Rattlers. Let's just say that the the alumni base, the, I was just in a group with a bunch of USF alums and a lot of fans, and like a lot of them, some are in, a lot of them are pretty much, their thoughts are that Willie Simmons is number one on the list. And if Willie Simmons is number one on the list and the AD feels that same way, this could be a done deal by December because right now it doesn't look like Florida A&M is going to make the FCF playoffs due to strength of schedule because they don't have that many, they don't have like a big quality win outside of conference. So, um, you know, and they're not going to be able to make the SWAC championship or the celebration bowl this year because they lost to Jackson state. Um, so their, their season will be done in two weeks. It's looking like unless FCS goes wacky and they sneak in and get an at large bid like they did last year. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think it's it's tough, especially because Jackson State just looks like on another level this year. And and yeah, Alabama State, Bethlehem Cookman, not sure that's going to be. You know, I've, I have a question for you, Dave, because, you know, with USF, because I think part of it, too, is they're trying to get that on-campus stadium. And I wonder if pulling someone, that's the only thing, I wonder what kind of coach you're hoping to get to sort of build that momentum. Because they're very, they're being very um, deliberate in their process like they'll make an announcement they'll go back they'll do all the work they'll say hey we're thinking about a stadium we're gonna do a you know uh whatever i forgot how they call it but that initial concept review then they'll come back and say we passed the concept review now we're gonna do a site review they come back and say we've picked the site now we're gonna do this so that stadium is quietly moving forward in the background i haven't heard anything that's made it sound like it's not going to happen eventually i mean it could there's a million reasons things get can get derailed but they definitely need a coach who can get there and, and start to build that foundation and yeah it sounds like he would be a, a definitely a strong candidate hmm, that's a good one well, dave i really appreciate that you know what do you, by the way i have a question so do you have what are your thoughts on uh you know FAMU and Bethan Cookman joining the SWAC. Do you think they've been a good fit? Oh, well, I mean, they have some historical rivalries there. Um, and at the time with the MEAC, a few years back when the MEAC was trying to expand, when they when um, Winston-Salem stayed and Savannah State mm -hmm. joined, um, they were trying to make it easier and potentially split the divisions within the, the MEAC. But then when Winston-Salem State went back to Division Two, Savannah State went back to Division Two. 
Hampton left to go to the Big South. North Carolina and T left to go to the Big South. At that point, from FAMU, it, was, it became a travel expense. And then on top of that, some of their big rivalries were within the SWAC. Like Southern is, fam, is one of FAMU's biggest rivalries. Yeah. So that yeah. was within the SWAC, you know. So from that standpoint, it kind of made sense from that standpoint. But I think, you know, when you so from it made sense for them to make that decision to go to the SWAC, but it kind of left the MEAC down to six football teams and eight total teams within that conference with really nowhere to go to expand. Yeah, so it'll be, a, so it'll be a, interesting to see if one of those teams tries to step up again, you know, and, and join them up there, you know, from D2. But yeah, it, it, it'll be tough. I think until they figure out the transmission committee situation, it's going to be very, it's going to be very tough to figure out what makes sense and what doesn't make sense from that standpoint. Um, because we don't know what's going to come out of that, what the requirements are going to be, because some of those schools within the, some of the HBCUs, their athletic budgets are very, very low. Like a school like a Mississippi Valley state is in the swag. Their athletic budget is under $5 million. Right for yeah. all their sports, yeah. Like, you know, so like I think that's going to be some of the challenges that you're going to have to deal with when it comes to some of the schools. I know there's been thoughts of of that entire conference moving up to FBS, but I think the bylaws would have to change within the NCAA for that to be a feasible option. Or maybe you have something like a bunch of teams decide to do it together, like A and T jumps in because I know A and T has aspirations to eventually go FBS. Whether it's within the CAA because they're moving to the CAA in football next year, yeah, um, they're in the CAA for all their other sports now. Um, so you know, you know, and maybe at some point they'll do something like that, or maybe a couple of HBCUs will just go and do it. I think Jackson State is on the path once they get a couple other things going with regards to the budget. If they if Dion sticks around long enough to make it happen, yeah, for sure. If Dion sticks around, that would be that would be an attractive up. Yeah, they're so dominant in SWAC right now, man, and I. And I and I've asked some of the alums and that's within those other institutions, like, hey, if Dion stays in this conference and keeps dominating you guys, what's gonna give? Because that's what's been happening. Either yeah. so something's gonna have to give at some point. Either I, yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it, that, Dave. This is really interesting. Yeah, I love it. You absolutely. know, because I, I agree. I think it's it's really fascinating to to what you said. Cause I mean, that's always been sort of the the, the hanging question. Will Dion just stick around? Because he's built something. Is he doing this just because he's enjoying it? Because he can certainly, you know, he's he's comfortable enough that this is, you know, he's clearly good at it. And, you know, the the entire city is, you know, supportive of the program. And we saw, you know, pulling in game day and, and how, you know, it doesn't seem possible that the politics within the city will or the state will allow that stadium to get, you know, expanded or redone. But he's getting them talking. So, if he does stick around, you know, we're, here I am talking about will FAMU ever step back up? I mean, Jackson State suddenly becomes that position. Will they be the one to maybe move up and become an attractive, you know, Conference USA target or something? Well, I think the big thing you got to realize is this. I think, I think the city of Jackson, it's all about economics, right? And what Deion Sanders has done to the city of Jackson has been phenomenal. And I think the governor and the politicians down there are starting to realize that if they let Dion walk out of that door, there's a lot of other things that's going to walk out of that door with them. So they're, I think they figured out that they got to try to figure out a way to keep them here by hook or by crook. So I think <laughs> they said, oh, we might want to have a, we might want to try to figure out the stadium thing out after all. 
<laughs> you know, before this whole before that stadium crump, before the vet crumbles, right? Like, yeah. You might want to try to figure this thing out. Otherwise, yeah. he is probably going to leave because he could leave. I mean, somebody eventually is going to call him. But I think he likes the fact that he's going to Jackson. Just like if USF does make the call to try to bring Willie Simmons down to USF, it's going to be tough for Willie to make that move because Tallahassee is home for him. Fam, you home for him. So it's going to be hard. Like it, it, coaching at an HBCU is a different. It's a different calling than being like a head football coach at a Power Five school. It's a it's a completely different type of perspective than mm-hmm. than coaching at a Power Five school or coaching at a G Five school. You know, yeah. You know, it's 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 a different type of tradition, a different type of legacy that you that you keep. Like you know, and I and I say this all the time is. If Deion Sanders stays at Jackson State for like 10, 15, 20 years, that'll be bigger than his Hall of Fame career. That'll be bigger than anything he did in the NFL. Well, I guess this could be one of the big questions each offseason now (laughs) as we go. Yeah, he's going to have, yeah, it's going to get asked every single year. Yeah. Well, Dave, Dave, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, I enjoyed your thoughts. Thanks. Hey, yeah, boy, what's up? What's going on? And and Mr. CFB, I have to say, I don't know if you got a new microphone, but you're sounding extra, extra good today. Oh, <laughs> oh, hey, you hear that, J.D. Serious? We've been joking about our different mics and which mics we use. So that's always <laughs> okay. been an ongoing kind of joke among us. Hey, I got to ask you something. Is What's it up? pork roll or is it Taylor ham? Oh, it's Taylor ham. It's Taylor ham. Oh. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what's a good word? Uh, well, Rutgers sucks, but that's whatever. Uh, I came here to issue an apology to Georgia because last time I was here a few weeks ago, I was bitching because some Georgia fans started barking at me outside of a Waffle House. Uh, I went to the game at Tennessee this weekend with uh, against Tennessee this weekend with my dad, and we had a fantastic time. So I've turned around on Georgia football, and uh, CFP poll looks fraudulent again this week. Uh, I don't think Bama. Should be top ten. Neither should Clemson. Yeah, there's that. I hope I hope Alabama loses to Ole Miss. And I do think a lot of people are overblowing how bad Alabama is this year. It seems kind of crazy that people are say, acting like this. Like it is pretty bad that they lost two games because that doesn't really happen. But I don't know. I think a lot of people are sort of overreacting to this. This is they're they're literally at tenth. They could find a way to sneak into the playoffs somehow. Like that is still very much in the cards at this point. Yeah, with Alabama, uh, you just can't. You just yeah. Can't. Like this this isn't over for them. Like this, there's still so much football to play. Tennessee can still this up. I did have a question, but I kind of forgot what it was. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember now. So with D, with the FSU not looking bad anymore, and actually kind of relates to what Dave was saying, actually. Where is Deion Sanders going to go if a Power 5 school has, like, what Power 5 school would be attractive for him to go? Because FSU is looking like it's not going to be available for a little while. I mean, I think right now it'd probably be anybody who wants to offer him at this point. So I know everybody wants to talk about, you know, Georgia Tech or Auburn or one of these other opportunities. But I think for right now, it would have to be somebody actually willing to offer to Deion Sanders. Uh, and then we can kind of have that conversation because I know that, you know, he had the quote unquote initial talks when Arkansas had their position open, when TCU had their position open. But in reality, I think there's still a lot of power five 
five schools that are still a little gun shy about Deion Sanders from his time at prime prep when he was in DFW. There's still uh, a little bit of questions of how he can do academically, especially at a place like a Georgia Tech where he also has to recruit, uh, you know, to a level of uh, very strong academics. Uh, But I think right now for any team that wants to do that offer and say we want to talk to Deion Sanders, that's probably going to be the next one that ends up being the one in the chase. I don't think there's necessarily a job that's like, you know, Deion is waiting and hoping for this job to open up. I think he's very content right now at Jackson State. And I think whatever school eventually wants to try to move on him is going to have to do something significant to convince him to come on board. Uh, And on top of that, they're going to have to do a lot of significant significant uh, negotiations with their board of regents with their boosters to make sure that they get everything lined up for what they'll need in order to court d on jackson but for right now i really can't see him going anywhere else other than jackson state in this cycle uh Auburn might decide to do something crazy this year but even then i don't think there's anything that Dion sanders necessarily wants to leave for right now that's that's how I feel because I mean, like I said, FSU made the absolute most sense. But now that they're not looking bad, that it just it just wouldn't work out anymore for him. It seems like. Mm-hmm. And I realized as you know, I'm trying to think back in uh, my mind of you know all these uh, job positions that are opening. I kept calling him Dion Jackson, like an absolute fool. So anyway, if you want to keep finding great analysis like this, Reddit CFB is the handle. Uh, Jordan <laughs> Dallas uh, as well. So, but Dion Sanders, uh, whenever he gets offered somewhere, uh, you know someone's going to have to back up a lot of opportunity for him. Uh, and I think just at least in this cycle, I don't see a job opening up that says, you know what, we'll do what is needed to get him. Yeah, I also don't think like certain schools would like certain schools wouldn't work. Anything that's too much of a rebuild, I don't think would even consider him because can he actually do a full on like power five rebuild? Frankly, would he want to? That would be my other thought. I mean, that's can, can, certainly one aspect of it. Hey, what's up, Markholm? I, I just saw you on mute. Hey, hey, guys. Um, so, uh, thank you for having me on, by the way. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. But yeah, by the way, Reddit, your voice is like crisp as hell. Like it's great. Right? Yeah. Oh. It's not really good today. <laughs> You're not the only one who, uh, oh, you guys are kind. <laughs> but, but, uh, second of all, um, Dion's the type of person that, you know, he wants, he does want to build a program from the ground up because he wants it to be his baby. Like that's. That's how he is. He is a maniacal, and 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 I mean that's the most respectful, positive way. Like he's a very he's a very maniacal, controlling uh, person as it pertains to how he wants things done. He, it's almost Saban like, and and he he would embrace that. I, I I also think that yeah, as as much as he loves uh, uh, Jackson State, which we all like, I'm a proud HBCU. Uh, alum, and I'm rooting for him at Jackson, even though I didn't go to Jackson. Um, shout out to Morgan State, by the way. But, you know, he's also said because of his coaching staff, who's been with him since he was at Trinity um, in, in high school and stuff like that in, in, back in Dallas, that he has to entertain it. And there's also been a, a kind of and a lot of different um, back Twitter spaces and just through hearsay um, that there's been folks kind of aligning themselves up in Oxford where if there's an opportunity for uh, 
Lane Kiffin to get the job at Auburn, it would be an immediate push to get Dion to 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 Ole Miss. Um, and they have backers lined up with, you know, like a, almost a sixteen million dollar um, collective chest for NIL money to get him there, and and to you know have a salary almost start out at the eight or nine million dollar mark with uh, with what. Uh, Lane Kiffin's already making there currently. So it's, you know, I don't like to be political and all that stuff, but there there has been a lot of politicking going on in the state of Mississippi. And uh, Tate Reeves, amongst others, within the state, the power players that be, they have not, you know, they have not not looked at the city of Jackson and what he's brought to that city. I mean, just within the last, what, three weeks, or final two weeks of uh, of their home stands, um, he brought almost thirty million dollars of you know eco- economic uh, uh, fees. I can't remember the name. Economic value to the city, um, like, and that's with just an FCS school. So you can only imagine, you know, the type of regional impact, let alone state impact, he would have on at a FCS school like uh, Ole Miss, and and. You know, for selfish reasons, I don't want to see him leave HBCU, but, like, yeah, there's, even within the state, there's been very, very, very uh, interesting talks. I've, you know, I've heard from, you know, several Twitter spaces through their own sources that, like, this is a potential opportunity. I'm just going to say that if Ole Miss loses another head coach to Auburn, Oxford may burn to the ground. I I can't imagine that... The Ole Miss faithful are going to be very happy with seeing this repeat itself. But the only, um, the only, the only person that you'd be okay for though is Dion, because that's right. automatic success. Well, and and I think for Dion, if you've seen his, I don't want to say antics, but his self promotion, prime time is invested in prime time, right? Like that's he'll. Right now, he's saying all the right things about trying to lure more talent, big-name players to HBCUs, trying to build up HBCUs, but we haven't really seen it tested yet whether he is significantly invested in raising up HBCUs or if he is invested in himself and this is a step to a bigger gig. Um, and I think that the next well, year I, or two, I, yeah, I, the I, next I, year or two will be the, the real gotta, test of that. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me speak on it. Oh, hey, Doc, you know, I yeah, love go to have ahead, you Doc. come in and yeah, talk. Go ahead, Let's... Doc, go ahead, Doc. Yeah. Oh, being that I'm the one that actually graduated from Jackson State, <laughs> um, when it comes to prime, you know, when it comes to Dion, like, when it comes to him promoting the HBCUs, I mean, he's promoting it. He's promoting it. You know, he's promoting it his way. Um, and in, in in certain in certain cases it is um schools are jumping on the opportunity to ride their way. Now it's up to the other schools, it's up to those other coaches who are not so prideful, who are not um uh so you know what I'm saying stubborn or stuck in their ways to jump on that way. Cause if you're not gonna jump on that way then like literally you're gonna be left behind. Like you, 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 you've seen. I mean, 
just think about this. He came in, right? In the, he came in. He coached the game in the spring. Coached the games in the spring. I looked at that as as a tryout period. I looked at it as an evaluation period because he knew, and I knew that some of those kids that that was on this team, on the team at the time, were not going to be on the team. So, you know, did people uh, was people upset that he overhauled the schedule? Not schedule, but he overhauled the. Uh, the roster like that, yeah, it was a couple of people that was upset about it. But he he was brought in there to change to turn around Jackson State, to turn around the 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 woes that we had for the last seven you know seven to eight years. Turn it around, and not say just becoming an instant success, but to become you know what I'm saying to becoming a success. So. Uh, my whole thing about that is, hey, look, you can jump in, you can get on and jump and ride the wave, or you, like I said, you can be left behind. You can, you can be like, um, you can be like Connell Maynard at, at, at Alabama A and M. <laughs> really think about it. Why are you and, out here? Why are you out here throwing shade at Maynard for, bro? Bro, because <laughs> you already know it's it's you know it's Alabama, it's A and M week for us. Come on now. Nah, but but on a serious <laughs> note, though, I agree with I completely agree with what you're saying when it comes to that aspect. But you also got to remember this too: everybody, every HBCU doesn't have a Deion Sanders. True, so correct. Every everybody's got to have a certain path. I'll never forget they asked Sam Washington a few weeks back: Has Deion Sanders impacted North Carolina A and T? And he just started laughing. He said, "No, because we're going on our own path." We got our different. We got our own way. You right. can't be dependent on that. You got to build your program because everybody isn't going to get a Deion Sanders to be your head coach. And I, I mean, think that's it, sometimes lost. <laughs> true. I mean, but it's true. But it's still in, in, in certain in certain instances, especially with, well, of course not not with, a, a, you know, A and T because y'all playing in you know in the Big South, and you know y'all. We not, you know, we didn't, we ain't never played y'all before, but I'm talking about like the ones that's already that's in the SWAC right now. You yeah, know? I think I think the I think the other schools in the SWAC have to leverage the opportunity of the exposure. Yeah, and try to and and try to work with the opportunities there. I completely agree from that aspect, but yeah, I don't think that. Yeah, that's yeah, I, said, I agree there. That's why I said you could. That's why I said I jump on the wave and ride the wave and then. And do it, you know what I'm saying? You can ride the wave, but you can also do it in your own, you know what I'm saying, in your own way. That kind of gets to what what I was getting at with that. I mean, Jackson State, obviously, they hired Dion to come in and revitalize that program. And he's used that platform to try to bring attention to the HBCUs in general. And in doing so, I think he's turned some of the media focus to some HBCU programs that otherwise haven't been getting as much respect as they deserved. And some of these coaches definitely are able to use that and kind of, like you said, ride that wave, even if they're not crediting Dion for it. I mean, the, even the fact that it's getting brought up that, you know, is, is Dion impacting you? That question's not going to get asked without him. And coaches are always going to try to, you know, 
No, no, it's not his. It's not an effect that he's having. It's the effect that I'm having. Uh, well, but well, you, you'd be you'd be a fool not to jump on the the publicity of that. Oh yeah, and to get as much mileage out of it. No, I completely right. agree. But my argument is, my argument is, when you ask a question like that to somebody who's already won four celebration bowls, who already had a plan in place to move to FBS, who's already done the things that they needed to do, like they've already they've already kind of before Dion showed up to Jackson State, they've already announced that they were moving to the Big South. Like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That type. Yeah, of thing. yeah. I mean, that's what just, I'm getting at. Like I get where you're coming from, but the way I look at it is that. As a, as a white dude who watches college football, I never really cons- I never thought about college football at the HBCU level. You know, I never thought about how how these schools' football programs are. But now that Deion Sanders became the coach at Jackson State, this is something that I I, I follow as well now because it's it's just it's it's it has its own uh, level to it almost. And so, without Deion Sanders being there, I do think there's a lot of people who wouldn't really follow this aspect of college football that now are. No, I agree there. I'm not going to disagree there. There's no question that Dion Dion brought eyeballs. He's brought yeah, he's made it He more brought mainstream. eyeballs that nobody else that nobody else could bring. I'm not disagreeing there. He's brought it more mainstream for sure. Absolutely. I'm not going to disagree there. Well, and that's yeah, and and I, every virtually almost every HBCU recognizes that fact. However, you can't just hang your laurels on that fact alone. And that's what, and that's what Dave, you know, and even to likes of like my school, we, we understand that. Like, like it's great that Dion has brought, you know, mainstream media and, and the, uh, you know, majority of college football watchers to be interested in HBCU football, you know, probably for the first time. Um, but, you know, it still takes, institution from within to build out their program. It's not just going to be, Oh, cause, cause then what happens if Dion is gone, right? Like that's still a possibility. And, and, and you got to do whatever you can to put your best foot forward. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, yeah, you know, and that's, you know, and, that, and that's the thing I always tell folks, right? Like I always say, look, this is awesome exposure for HBCU sports as a whole, because now right. we're getting a different level of exposure that we've never gotten. Right. Like we got the celebration bowl. We'll occasionally be on television that that was pre Dion, but now it's bigger. And now mm-hmm. that Jackson State's making it to it, making it, and they're going, they're probably gonna go every year to Kingdom Coming at this rate. That's gonna be <laughs> great from a rating standpoint. Folks are gonna watch it because Dion's the coach. But the moment where Dion makes a decision, and I hope that never happens, but if that moment does occur where he makes a decision to move on and go coach somewhere else, I just want to make sure that the HBCUs, particularly in the SWAT and the other ones surrounding and Jackson State were able to take advantage of the opportunities that they had. I don't want it to be back to what it was prior. Correct. That's just, my point. I'm going to tell you like this, Dave. We always say, and I say this all the time. When it comes to a, a coach staying at a school, at one particular school for about 10, 15, 20 years, we don't have that no more. You know what I'm saying? Like that, I, I, it, it, not saying that it's, it, it can't happen, but we're, we're in the business of right now, as far as, you know, as far as college football with coaches, you're in the business of results. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you have to, you know, you got to have the results. If you don't got the results, you, you know, 
within that certain amount of time that they ask for, then you're gone. So, like I said, we don't, we're not in that, we're not in the same, that same area where we have a Bobby Bowden stand for like 35, 40 years, a, but, a, Joe, a Joe Paterno but, stand for like 50, Doc, 60 years. But Doc, yeah. we're not talking, but we're not talking about FBS sports right now. We're talking about HBCU sports. So you yeah. can't tell me right now with a straight face if Deion Sanders sits there and keep Jackson State successful that he can't stay there forever. Or, or I think better, I think that's the question though is is Dion right now he's in a position that you don't see a lot of lower coaches at where honestly he's got or at least he should have if he's been you know Virtually good with every, his money every, every, every he's, he's yeah well he, he right now he's got the money or at least he should have to where he doesn't have to chase coaching gigs to make a fortune well, he can live very comfortably off of what he's what he's already made from his playing days but. And his endorsements, and he could choose to stay at Jackson State despite getting offered big money in in Power Five programs. But Willie, but the key for him is not about him. The key for him is not about him. It's about his He wanted his assistant coaches to to be able to be able to live and do the job that they actually love. That's that's the main thing about. That's the reason why Dion. He has, you know, he's going to entertain those calls, though, you know what I'm saying, from other schools like that because he wants his assistant that's been down with him ever since, like you said, some been down with him when he was at Prime Prep, like Kevin Mathis and Andre Hart. They've been down with him since he was at Prime Prep um, and at Trinity. You know, like his whole coaching tree, his whole culture. Um. Uh. Uh. His assistants. They. They. It. It has something to deal with somebody that he dealt with when you know what I'm saying playing or 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 broadcasting or anything like that. Like you said, offensive line coach came uh, was was brought to him by uh, Houston Nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Uh. Jeff Wheat was brought to him. I forgot who who brought him to him, but. He has a good relationship with, you know what I'm saying, with Jeff Weeks. T.C. Taylor and, and, and Otis and Coach O, they Jackson State. Like, T.C. Taylor is, is Jackson State royalty because, you know, he's like the leading receiver in Jackson State history, basically. Um, um, You got, like I said, you got Dennis Sturman because he, he was his defensive coordinator when he was in the NFL. Like, he has some sort of connection with his assistant coaches. That's the the loyalty thing is something that he I think he really goes by. So that's the reason why he's worried about you know he and Mike Zimmer's not even getting paid. He's not even getting paid because he's still getting paid by the Vikings. Right. He's just he's just for free, just off the strength. Uh-huh. And uh and and like like I said, like most of it, he just want to get them paid. He just want to make sure that they are set comfortably. You know, no. one thing that I wanted to ask from from y'all is, do you think, well, what point do people just stop asking, is he going to leave? Oh, he's going to leave. Because you sense that. You know, there is that push where 
there's a skepticism out there that he he's not going to stay for very long. What do you think? Should he have to keep addressing that? I think that's my thought. Does he have to keep always being asked, like, are you going to stay there? I mean, he stays until he leaves. Or or is that just not fair to, to not bring it up constantly? I mean, that's, that's for the, for the, I mean, that's the media has to do their jobs. I mean, I, I you can't not tell the media not to do their job, right? Like, they're there to, you know, grab interest and and get likes and all, you know, all the stuff that comes with it. And that comes along with the intrigue of does Dion stay or does Dion go? I mean, that that's kind of, you know, interestingly, like a microcosm of his NFL career, right? Like he goes from Atlanta to to to. San Fran, from San Fran to Dallas, from Dallas to to Baltimore, right? Like it's that, or in the in the baseball watch from Atlanta to to the Yankees, or the Yankees to Atlanta. I'm sorry, like mm-hmm. that. That's kind of how he is. He he moves in his own way, and and it's and it's very, you know, that's part of his mo. It's very intriguing. I think you gotta you gotta ask that question. I think for for fans, it's more so like who love HBC football. It's kind of depressing to hear. I mean, the way I look at it is this: some odd years ago, I remember people in the media were saying that there was a rumor that Nick Saban could leave Alabama. I think it was for Texas A and M at the time. If Nick Saban, <laughs> after winning like three national, four national champs or something like that, at that point, could have rumors that he would leave for Texas A and M for some reason. Then, like, I don't think D- there being rumors about Deion Sanders leaving or people asking is the worst thing because it just sort of comes with being someone with that level of like reverence in that position. Um, I feel like um, I think most people just get tired of hearing the question being asked: Is he going to stay? He's going to go. Only person that knows that is him. Now, if he goes. Um, if he do, if he does leave, uh, Ad Ashley Robinson, uh, more likely, uh, more than likely, or or has already have a contingency plan in place just for when Dion leaves. Like he 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 has to be talking to somebody behind the scenes and um to where that. Whoever he hires is a big hire, and they kind of continue with some of the things that Dion has brought about to to Jackson State. Um, but like I said, the only person that actually knows who when he's gonna leave is him. That's it. Definitely, you know. Um, I just wanted to ask a slightly different question because you know. You, Markham, you mentioned uh, more. Dion is State. such a dominant figure, man. It's unbelievable. Was it? I said Dion is such a dominant figure, man. It's unbelievable. It's just yeah. unbelievable, man. Oh, it's yeah. great. This is yo. Th- how this is related? Not regardless of Dion. Like just the amount of intrigue with the HBCU sport is. I so my my pops. Uh, he played for. Um, the the great legendary Big House Games and and well at that time Big House Games was the athletic director at Southern State 
and for uh, Coach Bill Hayes, who's a legendary coach within HBCU athletics and especially within North Carolina itself. And, uh, you know, he's probably part of the last bastion of, of, of you know, bl- the black youth generation of, you know, primarily going to HBCUs before they would go to a PWI. And he was like, you know, even back then, the fanfare and the buzz surrounding black college football isn't this, this is not the same as it is right now, which, you know, that's, that's, it's crazy, but my bad. Sorry for, sorry for, uh, no, not only, I just want to ask you one quick question. Since you you mentioned your Morgan state guy yourself, right? I just, yeah, yeah. I had to ask, how are you thinking coach Wilson's doing right now? Because that was a big thing when you guys got him from Bowie. Um, so it's crazy. Like one, I'm pissed. Like I'm still mad at Coach Wheatley. Like I don't, I'm not even gonna lie to you. Like I, I would never uh, like him again. Like, and I'm putting that lightly. Um, and it made me mad because how he left was so oof, unprofessional in my mind, um, collegiately speaking. And and it put it it put us behind the eight ball because it forced us to then try to you know over a six week set to eight week span try to seek out a head coach and allow for a guy with the resume and, you know, pedigree as, as a coach Wilson to have to come in in June, you know, which pretty much means like, you know, it's kind of like a dead period. And then July comes and then it's training camp and you're pretty much learning your team's names and trying to teach them. Yeah. Just run straight dive. Right. As you, as you about to play Georgia Southern, What's your name again, son? Oh, yeah, halfback dive. You know, like, that's kind of what a lot of people thought. And the fact that he's had this team that's not his players play the way that they've had been playing against the type of schedule that we've had, where there were certain games where we were actually the, the the you know, the favorites to win, even though we didn't come out on top because, like, right now we just, like I said, we're still a team that, that's trying to figure it out. But there are certain – expectations of us that we haven't had in years it's amazing i mean listen we've we played a towson team who's historically good and, and they're middle of the pack this year like they've been like the last couple of years but you know from a respectable caa conference and we were winning the majority of that game and we should have won that game you know we lost them 29 21 you know late but like we were winning the majority of that game we beat a St. Francis team who had gone to back-to-back or won back-to-back NEC titles and had just fallen to uh, – to, to I mean, let's say for Sacred Heart, oh, excuse me, who just lost to a St. Francis team who's now the NEC champions this year. Um, you know, there's – and, and then we, we, we came back against a bad uh, Norfolk State team on our homecoming and lost at the – literally at the, at the game-ending play – um, for a touchdown for them to come back and win. And then this past Saturday against Stony Brook. Yeah, another, it was a field goal. A field, right? Like it's, it's, but, but, and I always say this, right? Like good teams have to go through these type of growing pains. And the fact that it's been accelerated this fast is amazing. And, it, and you know, I was talking to a couple of other boosters and alum, like, really, we should be seven and two. Which is that's even more, you know, astonishing in my mind that we're talking about 
anything relatively of that. Like our record shows that, that we're three and six, and we knew like you know going to the conference play that you know the the likes of Central or South Carolina State, you know we'd have a hard time against, and we and we and we displayed that against Central. Like you know, props to to Coach Trey Oliver. That's a hell of a team they got down there in Durham. Um, but we also you know showed our brass, if you will, against South Carolina State. You know what I mean? Like, and and it wasn't like you know. Oh, you got lucky. No, it was a thorough ass whooping, for lack of a better word. Excuse my language. Like, we, we, you know, we, we, we were about business. And it was similar to the likes of what he's accustomed to doing down at Bowie. So, you know, once he gets his recruiting cycle, once he gets a spring in session, like, like, you know, you got, you have a defense where they're uberly aggressive. They play a lot of man, sometimes a lot of cover zero, right? So that means you have to be on your P's and Q's. And this is with guys that, that, that were coming in literally into camp two weeks before they were about to play off their first game against Georgia Southern. Right? Like guys literally say, hey, my name is George. Hey, my name is Bob. How you doing? Oh, yeah. You covering who? Okay, I got him. Right? Like that's kind of how these guys were, were going along with. Like it was almost like NFL style. So now that they'll have a full offseason to actually digest, break down what happened, digest, get the recruits. And by the way, I mean – you're talking about locking down um, the DMV region. Um, he's doing that to a T. Like, and, and that's one of the kind of cool things about being in Maryland. Like, there's only three Division One teams. And so, you know, yeah, you understand, like, you, you may not get the four or five star. That kind of will fall to Maryland. And usually Maryland gets more so three to four stars and an occasional five stars. But, okay, you know, there's a lot to go around, right? Like, it's not like you're in a state like Virginia where it's saturated with D1 schools or North Carolina and et cetera. Like, no, like we just got to compete against Towson and Maryland. And, you know, he's going to do – and because he was at a D2 program, a lot of times kids overlook that. But now that he's at a D1 program, it's more elevated. So, I, you know, the, I just tip my hat off to the guy. I just think the best is yet to come for our program. And I know for a fact we're going to be a formidable foe for years to come. Um within conference play. And, you know, from early uh, early interviews of his, you know, he wants to play for a FCS national title. That's that's his, you know, ordeal. Like, because he came from the D2 ranks and the D2 ranks, regardless of your HBCU or PWIF uh, D2, like, you play for an overall D2 national championship. So he wants to still kind of compete for that. So, what does that mean for Morgan regarding conference alignment, realignment? I don't know. Um, but I do know that he, he heavily uh, is also in favor, not just in, uh, in playing of the uh, Celebration Bowl, but of for a national title. NEC. NEC. <laughs> There's also been rumblings of the Patriot League, too. So I, th- those, those two conferences are definitely, like, something that I know – uh, the athletic department is looking at y'all um, actually would academically y'all actually would be a fit in the CAA if they send you guys an invite, believe it or not. All, all jokes aside. Yeah. Yeah, we would. I think, I think <laughs> if you, if you look at the geographic map of the CAA, it's kind of like a inverted old MEAC map. And I don't, I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, uh, if our department wants to deal with that type of, oh, that type of travel. Now, 
I've also heard rumblings of the CAA trying to break the conference into two divisions. They are. They are. They so, they're definitely doing they're definitely doing north south, but they, they're gonna they haven't decided how they're gonna handle football because you gotta remember, right? They have a lot of football only schools in the conference, but they're but right. the the rest of the schools they are gonna split them north south for for the rest of the sports. But football right. is kind of different because like Rhode Island, Maine, some of those schools aren't are football only schools. Right. Right. So that's kind of where you know it gets a little bit tricky. Uh, regarding what we, what we think, and you know, I know there's a lot of old heads. Like I'm a former football uh, player at Morgan, and it's kind of like a split between the youth youthful football alum and the older heads. Um, kind of two eras of when, like the last time Morgan was really good, to where the last time Morgan was kind of all right, and I was part of that all right era. Um, those guys, the older heads, wants to see Morgan in the CAA, but you know, that all comes on the new AD and the president. All I'm going to say is this, y'all, that Morgan Towson matchup will be lit. <laughs> you said the Morgan Towson matchup? It'll be lit. That'll yeah, be no, lit. yeah they, they play that. They, so, we've, you know, we've been playing that kind of outside of what, uh, I think, the COVID 2020 season. Um, since 2018, they've been playing that consistently, you know, home and away against each other. Um, and yeah, 2017, actually. Yeah, but yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2017. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. I Thank you. I was kind of upset at the fact that because I played there from 2013 to 2016 that we didn't get a chance to play them. Oh, yeah. um, there was like a bit of hiatus from 2009 to 2017. So it was like kind of was crappy that we couldn't play them. And then now, ironically, uh, when we won our championship, that was the same year that they had uh, Terrence West and them boys make it, you know, a national title run. So like this Baltimore was just jumping that time. Um, you know, yeah, it would be it would be jumping. Like, I think there's definitely a push because I know uh, Rob Ambrose, the coach of Towson, like his dream, and, and I'm pretty sure for Wilson as well, is to try to get the game so big that it could be played at uh, M and T. It's, it's plausible, yeah, be- man. Because I know like A and T play has been playing Elon for years, so now that they're in the same conference, that's going to be something serious. And there's talks to- right. It looks like Elon's going to make an at-large bid, and if A&T wins the Big South, and it looks like they got a pretty damn good shot to do it, they're saying that might be the matchup in the playoffs. So that's going to be a oh yeah, that's going to be a crazy first-round matchup to say the least. Hey, oh, yeah. hey, Dave, y'all, I, I think A&T will win the Big South. Um, I'm worried about Gardner uh, Webb, bro. I'm worried about Gardner, Gardner Webb. Webb. Yeah, Gardner Webb. Yeah, this is the Gardner Webb game, but I feel like y'all will be able to beat them this this year. Uh, because that char- yeah, because y'all played Charleston Southern this weekend, right? Yeah, but that game don't matter because the bottom line is yeah, it don't matter. But Gardner Webb is three and zero. Gardner Webb is three and zero. They played a pretty tough auto conference schedule as well, and I remember what they did to us last year. So hey, uh, I and just we had thirteen really penalties against Norfolk State. So we still we gotta we have to be focused to make sure that we're ready for that game in two weeks. And Jalen's hurt. Fowler's hurt. So I I I just wanted to really quickly. Well, he should be fine, but you know we're you know we'll see what happens against Charleston Southern. It'll be interesting because we don't need to win Charleston Southern to win the Big South. We have to be we we have to be Garner Webb. That's a must win. With Campbell losing last week to Bryant, you know it's pretty much Garner Webb versus A&T for the championship final week of the season in at Garner Webb. Yeah. 
So I just wanted to see. We got Sam. You're up here. I wanted to see what you wanted to contribute. I'll see you back. Just wanted to be. Uh, let everyone get a chance. What's up, Sam? Hey, how's it going, man? I just wanted to uh, bring it back to the SEC real quick. I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, actually, the SEC and the Pac-12. I wanted to get y'all's opinion. So I know a lot of people are going to write off Utah as a a two-loss team, but with the schedule looking up, you know they have a chance to play Oregon. Let's say they win the Pac-12 championship and LSU squeaks out a win against Georgia, right? Let's say, you know, last second field goal maybe. And let's say Utah kind of runs the table. It doesn't look bad, you know, kind of beats Oregon by two touchdowns or something like that and maybe wins the a, a Pac-12 against USC by, by a touchdown. Do you think Utah has any possible chance of making the 14 playoffs? Hmm. Now, I know Sirius might have some thoughts on this, too, but I personally think it would take a lot of things to I mean, they would need a lot of help. There's so many teams ahead of them that could otherwise take that spot. Now, if they win out and they would get some strong wins and they'd have that victory over USC, especially if USC. Well, USC, gosh, how does they're in an awkward spot? They're in a really awkward spot because of that out of conference loss, um, which leaves them in the running for the Pac-12 championship, but it hurts them, hurts their chances overall, and the fact they've already beat USC. So the other side you have to think about it is, who do you want to face in the Pac-12 championship game to give your strength of schedule a boost and you know hopefully get another ranked win? So which team do they go to do it? Because it's not like there's... Another undefeated pack, or there is an undefeated Pac-12 team out there to beat, and we kind of saw this happen a few years ago with Auburn when they had that loss to Clemson, and they were still able to get into the SEC championship game. Of course, they lost the rematch against Georgia, um, but there was some potential, like really a lot of weirdness that could happen because they had the win over Alabama, they had the win over Georgia, but they also had that. Clemson lost to kind of screw with things. Um, so it's a, it's a weird situation for Utah to be in right now because, and if we're totally honest, like the Florida loss doesn't look any better the longer the season goes on. Um, LSU's loss to Florida State out of conference at the beginning of the season has the potential to have the same effect. Um, it, it kind of makes it weird. Like if LSU wins the SEC, then obviously – they're pretty much a lot to get in, but that's because they had to beat Alabama and Georgia, possibly Tennessee again. And the the only loss they would have would be to Tennessee um, in conference play. And then the Florida state loss actually looks pretty, pretty solid as things go. Um, I but I would say, I'd say Utah, it, Utah just doesn't have those advantages schedule wise um, because they don't have that real contender. Um, for the playoffs, and then I have an undefeated team to beat at this point that, like an LSU, would have. I mean, that's just kind of my my gut reaction right now. Um, I think that they'd be probably in the run in the running with like a a one loss, either Michigan or Ohio State, whichever one loses um, their rivalry game and misses out on the the Big Ten championship um, as trying to get into like a probably like a four seed. I don't think that they could get to a three seed unless things went really crazy, but I can see that there's probably like 
three or four teams that are kind of jockeying for that last spot. Yeah, I agree. So you believe I, I believe the the Florida State loss to LSU is is somewhat being tossed to the side, especially by the committee, seeing as you know last second missed extra point doesn't look like you got beat by two touchdowns. So my question is, say they they look that they look at that as you know as a push in a way, and you got the Tennessee loss for us, and you have Oregon's Georgia loss. Do you see Oregon's Georgia loss as exponentially worse or pretty much the same issues lost to Tennessee. Well, I just want to give a little, I know a little background when they were talking to Boo Corrigan in that media call immediately after the rankings show, they, people were asking about LSU and, and how they were kind of looking at that. And with LSU, especially, you know, with Oregon, that, that was a question like, is Oregon ahead just because they only have one loss and, you know, as much, they're looking as much as the information they have in front of them. And in their mind, LSU's win over the last couple of weeks with Alabama and Mississippi, they they tend to have a little bit of recentism there. So they were kind of impressed by those wins over number, at the time, number seven, Ole Miss, at the time, over number six, Alabama. And then they're kind of looking, it seems to be that they're looking at as teams gain momentum over time. And to an extent, of course, that's going in Oregon's favor as well, especially since that that loss to Georgia. So, you know, it's a little harder to compare those two against each other right now because I would say, gosh, I would want to give Oregon the edge if they won out for a lot of reasons there. But in terms of Utah versus uh, – in terms of Utah against LSU, I think that Florida, as you know, Sirius was saying, that Florida State loss is not looking as bad while the Florida, the Florida loss for uh, um, Utah is looking, is looking worse each time, especially – now that you know, and again, a lot of things could change. But if Florida State continues to win, um, and they they certainly seem to be gaining some momentum, and it's certainly the pounding they gave Miami got a lot of attention. I think it'll help them in the long run. But yeah, I think for for LSU, if they win the SEC, I think they're going to be in no matter what. That's just the strength of that entire conference is going to help them. For Utah, it would need a little bit of help, and it's it's funny too. I keep thinking that they're going to have to beat Oregon, so that would be strong. And then they'd probably have to – I don't know. Would they have to play Oregon again? I'm not even sure how that would work out. Yeah, I agree. I, I, was, I was curious about the same thing. I thought – because I, I see the the obviously the recency bias, and they, they did mention as the season goes on, you see teams' improvement. That's a lot to play in, especially for Oregon and for LSU because, you know, Oregon come off the, the big loss of Georgia, but they've improved a lot. Same thing with LSU. But, see, the only thing about LSU is uh, as an LSU fan, I saw – we slipped up against Florida. I think that was more of a coming out of the game, coming out of the gate, you know, loss. Uh, technically, just a mishap. But then the loss to Tennessee just looks almost just as bad as the loss to Georgia did for them, except for, you know, we did score a few more points. But I think Georgia obviously looks exponentially better than Tennessee. So it's really a tough question. I was just looking for, like I said, looking for, I guess, like a chaos scenario because. Everyone's looking, who are you going to put in between TCU, Oregon, and LSU, right, if all four went out? I was trying to see what happens if, like I said, Utah maybe makes you, making shake things up. So in that situation, you're thinking like uh, uh, Georgia wins out. Well, I, are you saying Georgia wins out or LSU wins out? LSU wins out. That's what I'm saying. If okay. Because they're going to put – you're not going to leave Georgia out even with – even – I mean, I don't uh, – I know it's not going to happen, but even with like a a 
a dominating performance by LSU over Georgia, I just don't see a possibility of leaving Georgia out. I think that there is a possibility. If, if LSU comes into that SEC championship game and just destroys Georgia, um, I, which is going to be a very tough thing to do, that they're a very balanced team. Um, and we saw we saw that in the Tennessee game, and I don't know if they're you know leaps and bounds ahead of Tennessee, but they're good enough that they could play ball control against one of the most explosive offenses in the country, which in my mind says an awful lot about them. So if LSU comes out and they destroy Georgia, and I'm talking like 20, 30 point win, then I think that definitely raises the question of does Tennessee have a chance to get back in the running? Because they're not going to take all three of them. So you've got a one-loss Tennessee, a one-loss Georgia, and then LSU's a lock at that point. If LSU wins the SEC championship, they are a lock for the playoff. Just that's it. Conversation I, over. I agree. But, the only team that I really had worried about pushing us out in any possible way was is Georgia. I don't think – I know TCU's resume isn't terrible, but it's – I am an advocate for – I've never been one of those that said, especially up until recent years, especially because of the, the overall scope of college football over the nation, all the teams are getting better. You know, a lot of the teams are getting better. I know Florida and teams like that are falling off, but, you know, you go look and you have these teams like TCU that are coming up and maintaining this progress. And, and I was I was the kid at the beginning of the season that I thought Baylor was going to do better. Well, we won't really bring that up, but – you know, I was, looking at, <laughs> I was looking at that as far as, like I said, everyone's getting better. So you look at TCU, but I still do believe that if, like, say, TCU switched spots with Missouri, do they have four losses? I don't think so. I don't think that with Missouri's schedule, I don't think TCU has four losses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 A&M schedule. I see. I'm thinking Missouri. Eh, Missouri schedule because you know. You're going to lose – you would assume TCU loses to Tennessee and Georgia, right? Maybe. Well, we Maybe. don't – Max, 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 Max Duggan's play – Missouri's always been, always gets to be a little bit of a punching bag in, in these situations. Um, you know, we're just following yeah, in the NCAA's right. footsteps here. I was but, about to say, are we no, penalizing them? Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, kind of getting back to the heart of your question, um, I think that if, if TCU is undefeated, they're in, hands down. If George is undefeated, they're in. LSU is obviously out at that point. LSU's only shot to make it is if they win out and make it to Atlanta and then beat Georgia. That's their only only way in. Um, unless, like, really weird stuff gets happening and we've got, like, a two-loss Big Ten champion or something stupid um, to where suddenly a, a three-loss team is on the table. Um but back to the the part about Oregon, I would say that Oregon's loss to Georgia looks, I won't say better, but less relevant the farther we get from it, um, both because Georgia has dominated a lot of other teams along the way and also because of the evolution we've seen of Bo Nix. And, you know, he's focused, he's having fun, um, he's looking a lot. He's looking a lot better. I had to. I had to. Yeah, yeah. Um, he does look like he's having fun. But but he, he's playing a lot better as the season has gone on. And I would say, you know, if if you weren't seeing that um, that kind of progression, then I think that 
voters would be more hesitant, but I think that that, that makes the Georgia loss less embarrassing for the schedule, especially if they win more games. Um, so I think, you know, a one-loss Oregon Pac-12 championship champion, they've got a good shot to be in the running, depending on how everything else shakes out. Obviously, Alabama picking up another loss helps. Um, the potential for LSU to make it to the SEC championship, um, where I would assume Georgia would be heavily favored, relatively heavily favored, um, that that helps. Because it kind of keeps away that that monster scenario of one lost Bama, one lost Georgia, one lost Tennessee, which like everyone outside of the SEC was just cringing at the thought of, um, and what impact that could have on the CFP selections. So that's kind of where I'm at with the situation right now. Uh, we still had a lot of football left to play, and we all know that things can get really weird in November. So you see um, the scenario for a three SEC team playoff. Oh my God, that would be <laughs> not going to say possible. I'm never not gonna say it's just for this year. I don't believe it'll be not, possible for other years, but for this year, do you see a possibility for a three SEC team playoff? Not unless there are some other teams. I mean, like TCU picks up at least one loss. The winner of the Big Ten picks up like two losses. Uh, there's got to be some serious attrition between now and then, and the Pac-12 completely cannibalizes itself to but where we're talking okay, about. I think the game that... options of all of those options, the Pac-12 completely cannibalizing itself is a, is the most plausible. It always is. I mean, I it's hard to mention Oregon it. State, people don't believe it, but Oregon State actually has a chance to mess around and beat Oregon. Oh, it absolutely! Like it. Yeah, but I mean, look, people, Oregon's next people are writing games. it off. Yeah, Oregon's next three games are Washington, and that's going to be a rivalry game. And Washington seems to be, be a tough decent. Game. You got Utah, and then you got at Oregon State. Like those are not three easy games of, of the final stretch for of the teams we've been talking about. I think you know Oregon LSU probably has, has the clearest path, and LSU probably has the clearest path. Yeah, I don't think I, I Arkansas and A and M are going to be rivalry games. And I will ask a, if I'm still around. I'll ask a question about A and M in a second, but I don't think. I know that A&M will play motivated just because they want to beat us. I think the play against – who they play close recently? Uh, I'm drawing a blank here. They played a game that they – they're pretty really close game. They almost won that they shouldn't have been in anyways. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. They played – yeah, so, was it Bama? Yeah. They played a little bit better against Bama than everyone expected, right? Oh, yeah, we're talking about A&M. Yeah, Bama. That was a really yeah. close game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but which you know, maybe says more is, about Bama than it does AM, to be honest. That's what I was going to say. Does it say more about Bama <laughs> or AM? Because, you know, Bama obviously isn't, you know, the dragon everyone expected to slay this year, but obviously it still feels good to beat them. But does, you, take, you, you take what you can get, right? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't get a chance to make this game. I was at the 2019 game in Tuscaloosa and. And you know that that can never be beat, in my opinion. But beating them in Tuscaloosa, I mean, hearing 106,000 people go silent when Joe Burrow converted that third down, you know, <laughs> you just can't beat that. I know everyone yeah. loves hearing the. I love. Don't get me wrong. I would have loved to been in Death Valley Saturday night and hear, you know, all those people go crazy for the touchdown, the two point conversion. But I'm one of the very few people who loves hearing the enemy shut up. <laughs> I love being behind enemy lines and and quieting them. So to me, that can't <laughs> that can't be beat. But where I was going to go with this was 
if if LSU beats Arkansas decidedly and A and M decidedly, and say Oregon has has a close game with Utah with Utah and loses to USC, you know, what does the win against does the win against Bama look better for us or does their win against Utah look better for them, seeing as they're both two lost teams at the moment? Doesn't matter. LSU wins the SEC championship, they're in. As LSU loses the SEC championship, they're out. That's that's essentially what it comes down to. Um, yeah, I agree too. <laughs> the resume, I mean, I, I, the resume if, if doesn't it will speak for itself. I just think I, the only thing that I hesitate on is I think I think Alabama is going to demolish Ole Miss this weekend. I mean that's just my opinion. I don't think that Alabama is as good as recent years, obviously. But we all know what happens when you come off of an Alabama yeah. loss. Just ask Mississippi State. They've <laughs> yeah. been Mississippi it's State the has been bag. disproportionately <laughs> been the team that plays Alabama after they lose. And what's funny? Hey, like, they, what's they, what's they, funny? they scored a touchdown in in Tuscaloosa this time. So I think they win by two touchdowns. This is what this is what's funny is I'm an LSU fan uh, all my life, 30 years old, and I live in Starkville, Mississippi. I can actually see the stadium from my apartment right now, and and <laughs> they. Hey, you know, I, I had friends that went to state. <laughs> I had friends that went to state, and they complained an awful lot about all the Alabama fans nearby because it was so close to to Tuscaloosa that they just decided to root for the better team. So, <laughs> well, I will say, living uh-huh. in Star for so many years, that I can say that Mississippi State fans are definitely always going to remain. The we'll be better next year, and it never ends up being that way. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so I want to let in uh, Thack and then Castro because I want to be – I know you guys have been up here for a while. Thack, what's up, man? Yeah, yeah. You know them Missouri Tigers now. They just gave that dumbass – nah, man. Uh, I argue with some dumbass on the message boards uh, earlier uh, on Saturday when they uh, it's, it said that – extended that contract for him. If, you, if anybody don't know, they uh, extended his contract two years. Uh, a, a drink wits there. And I argued with this idiot on the message boards. He's like, man, recruiting doesn't matter. You know, th- this team sucks. Uh, I don't know, man. This, this, I told his dumbass he was an idiot because he's like, I told him, I was like, man, you, to be, even be competitive in the SEC, you got to have, you know, top 25 recruiting classes. And Missouri hadn't had, you know, real good recruiting since prime Gary Pinkle now. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's nothing. I was listening to fine bomb show today. Some dumbass called in. I think it was the idiot I was arguing with on the message board from Missouri. And he said, his dumbass said he was pissed about it. Fine bombs. Like it's, it's a recruiting thing. He's getting assurance, you know, for the next round of guys, you know, as long as that buyout doesn't change that, that's the big thing. You know, if the buyout don't change, then, uh, then we're all good. If the buyout changes by a little bit, you know, that's fine. But but you got to be remote to be, even be remotely competitive in the SEC. You got to have top twenty five recruiting class, and that's what Gary Pinkle did. And that's when you know, uh, 13, 2014, You know that that's when Missouri football was was uh, was playing definitely at his best uh, in a long time, and by far its best in the SEC is when Gary Pinkle was recruiting solid, consistent classes. I mean, you can't remember they you got they had that Sports Illustrated uh, page right and. On the front cover, it was Chase Daniel, I think, and uh, Marty Malk, and they said this is the best quarterback in the uh, in the nation. As his backup might be even better, 
And uh, it, well, it didn't turn out that way, but you know that's that's one of the best, man. And oh, serious left, man. I was gonna cra- congratulate him on a uh, on a good game in the uh, SEC dumpster fire uh, bowl. <laughs> I'll I'll let him know for sure. I think that uh, I think that we should have a trophy that's like a eight ton rolling dumpster that gets rolled out onto the field. Whoever wins gets to jump in it and like play around and trash or something. But, uh, damn, that was probably most athletic. I didn't get to talk to him last time I came on here because he wasn't up here. But, uh, man, that was the most athletic play I've seen from a, a Vanderbilt player in a very long time where he hurdled our low line, tackled that dumbass Brady Cook for a scoop and score. <laughs> I'll let well, him to, know that for sure. Well, to your point, I do believe recruiting plays a major role, but – I'm one of the few that believes coaching plays much of a better role is, you know, just ask A&M, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what that dumbass said on the message boards. Look where A&M's at. That's the thing. That's, A&M's a culture problem, man. A&M's a total culture problem. Fisher, yeah, okay. okay that makes culture sense. problem, you know. And, Absolutely. And, and Drinkwitz, here's the thing. He, he's got the culture, you know, he's got the culture under control uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, I think if he picks up an offensive coordinator, that's what I need. I need Jim. We need Jimbo to get fired. We need to pick up. Uh, we need to pick up Jimbo as an offensive coordinator. And now think about that. It would be like uh, you so. Know, when the so, Rams... so how many games in does it take Jimbo to lose two next year to be fired? Then I don't know, man. I I don't give a rat's ass if Jimbo gets fired or not. But uh, it would be nice to pick him up as an offensive coordinator. Think about it. It'd be like the 2001 Rams, man. It'd be like you think uh, he would take a job after taking an eighty-five million dollar buyout? That'd be like Ed no, Orgeron no, taking a job. I feel like he'd right be now. an analyst. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like oh, yeah, if I'm, I'm if I'm anybody, I'm Ed Orgeron on the beach with like the honeys. If I make that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He ain't gonna pick up another job now. But it'd be funny, you know. Think about the two thousand one Rams. You had Dick Vermeil, the super nice guy, you know, that drink with. And think about Mike Merritt's egotistical maniac at offensive coordinator and. uh they got a grocery stocker to win a Super Bowl. And uh, right now, Brady Cook, our quarterback, is better off at High V stocking groceries, man. <laughs> well, thanks, Zach. It was great hearing from you. Castro, what's up? Yeah, free heart. Living the dream, man. Oh, sorry, Zach. Zach or Zach? Uh, it's Zach. Free Harvey update. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks, man. Great. Uh, what's up, Castro? Living the dream, man. How about you? Good, good, good. What's up? So there's like two or three things I honestly wanted to talk about. And thanks for having me on this this discussion board. Uh, the first thing is I know the biggest game of this weekend is TCU versus Texas. And I'm a huge Longhorn fan. So I've every week this whole season, I've, I've uh, had many, many heart attacks because of my Longhorns blowing second half leads, especially from the previous season. However, I feel like there may be an upset in Austin this weekend, considering that TCU has been in so many close games. So it's inevitable, inevitable that they may get upset this weekend. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, my favorite comment that came out of just sort of the reactions to the latest CFP was it would just be perfect for TCU to be number four and then immediately lose to Texas. I mean, not because people necessarily want to see them lose, but yeah. just because it would it would just sort of be a fitting moment. Um, and, and which, of course, would be wonderful for Texas. Because, I mean, Texas is – Texas, it's – 
that team, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. I kind of wish JD, um, he had to drop out after, at the hour mark, but uh, he's, he's, our, he's our Texas expert. And by the way, we've been actually, we're going to have, although he's been hit by a bit of a, a stomach bug and he's let us know, but we're supposed to have Sam Khan from The Athletic on tomorrow night, but I, he, we may be postponing it. So we'll let that know because since he, you know, he's the athletics expert, as he likes to call himself. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, with Texas, gosh, I think, that Oklahoma State game was a bit of a disappointment, obviously. I mean, that was... Tell me about it. <laughs> but they've, they've been strong, you know? I mean, ever since that Alabama game... And again, Texas Tech, it's easy to look past that one a little bit. Because that's just, you know... That 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 reminded so many people of, of the past when... Because when, you know, we all remember, you know, the, the Crabtree game and all that stuff. But that you still can't look past that strong game with Alabama. And again, of course, now we're like, well, Alabama might be a little weaker. Imagine you know, if Texas beats Alabama and we're looking at a three-loss Alabama team in week eight, week nine. I mean, For imagine. sure, yeah, dude. The entire nation would be in shambles. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know shambles. They would, it would be more like the Ewoks celebrating after they blow up the Death Star at the end of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> but you'd have all those people in California who are Alabama fans that wouldn't know what to do. They'd be Oh, my gosh. In, well, they'd, they'd, become, they'd, have to focus on, they'd have to focus on Duke <laughs> basketball. Uh, <laughs> or Yankee baseball, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Lakers. I mean, that we even have to, you know. Well, of course, it's the Lakers, but yeah. It's just you that know. the thing that's so confusing <laughs> about Texas, like we do good in the first half, and then I feel like the offense doesn't know what play to run in the second half, and I feel like just that just that's Sark's fault. Yeah, and exactly. Like I just don't know, like. What's the problem with that? You know, I feel like they don't know how to readjust for the second half. But uh, I think it's more of a motivation thing. I don't even think it's a scheme thing. I think they lost that game to Alabama because Ewers got hurt, obviously. I think if he stays in the game, they win. I don't think they win by two touchdowns or anything. I think you win by maybe a touchdown, maybe 10, maybe even 10. But I think after you lose that game, it's you got to think that's. That's those kids have been playing for te- in Texas their whole life. They've, a lot of them have never lost a game, probably, and they come out. They lose the first game of the season, and it's just it, you got to get them kids back on track. And clearly, Sark just didn't seem to do a very good job of it. But like, especially with games that I feel like they're favored to win or supposed to win, like Oklahoma State or even Texas Tech, I feel like they didn't know how to readjust in the second half, and it showed. I mean, look at the scoreboard. I mean. This past weekend, Texas only scored three points in the second half. And I know, like, there were fumbles from uh, Xavier Worthy and uh, Roshan Johnson. But, I mean, however, I mean, three points total in the second half this past weekend. I mean, that's, like, bonkers, in my opinion. So, Well, it's <laughs> funny. You got me thinking, you know, of those times. Because I, I I'm a USC fan, at least. That's what I've been you know, that's where I did my undergrad. And it's kind of, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, a lot of USC fans and, and to a lesser extent Washington fans who remember are kind of were a little surprised that they pulled up Sark as their head coach only because it's Texas with, you know, it's Texas. They, they do get some pretty good opportunities to get their pick on head coaches. So the adjustments are kind of weird and how in the second half, you know, to an extent it's probably as much the – the defense is adjusting to that offense. And, and Sark's an offensive coach, as everyone knows. That's his background. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, it's I the can second understand. year. I, 
I could understand your argument there. I would think though that that Tennessee's defense had had to adjust a little bit more than Texas's did this year, if that makes sense. I mean, it, it, Tennessee's reminded me of it, in LSU's defense in 2019. I don't I don't want to compare the teams at all, but you know, as far as the way that they scored and the way that they come out, it was more or less one of those things where a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on LSU's defense that year, but I mean, they were on the field. <clears throat> Every two minutes, you know, every two minutes you're on the field. It's it's tough to stay stay competitive, stay fresh, and stuff like that. I think Tennessee drew a lot of that this year, but I can't really put that on Texas because I mean, now that team was on the field a lot because of a lot of three and outs. Hey Castro, man, you need to find out if your athletic director still got Tom Herman's phone number in his Rolodex, man. Right, at least with Tom Herman, we were winning pretty much consistently. I mean, but. <laughs> been calling into this show uh, talking about how, how how much better Tom Herman was since the start of the season, man. Yeah, for sure. I feel like he was just getting to know like the players really well like in the 2020 season, and then whenever he suddenly got fired, and then David, what was the – I think Chris Ash was the defensive coordinator. He was, he was starting to draw pretty good defensive schemes, and he ended up joining uh, Urban Meyer for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I feel like that put a huge blow on the defense and them trying to learn even new schemes whenever P. Kukowski came on as a DC. But I mean, I don't know. I really don't know what's been going on with the defense as far as I know. So, man, Tom Herman, you think about Tom Herman, man, he was 5 and 0 oh in bowl games. They fired him. That's yeah. how fucked up, That's how <laughs> fucked real, up Texas football is. Yeah. I guess, man. But uh, the second thing I want to talk about, what's the strong – I know whenever I got on this discussion board, I heard someone say, like, a strong possibility of three SEC teams in the college football playoff. Oh, it wasn't However, strong. We were mostly just talking purely theoretical. Was it even oh, possible? Yeah, and possible, that yeah. Got, it got me thinking because I think a couple of days ago I replied to someone saying, I feel like after the dust settles, it could be – Georgia, Michigan, Tennessee, and LSU as the top four because what if LSU tends to win out and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game? What if Michigan beats Ohio State? Wait, what's up? I would think Georgia or LSU would have to beat uh, Georgia decidedly. Yeah, that's the thing. It couldn't be like a last-second two-point conversion or anything. Yeah, that would be a pretty big, I think, stretch at this point. This, I, I think, with all the football left to be played, I mean, we can certainly is theoretically is it possible, yes. But I, I think we'll worry about taking that. It's 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 a fun kind of like you know sports theory sort of to kind of discuss. But oh, yeah. odds are, I'm not sure that you know we'll worry about that when we get to it. You know, yeah. I'm going to have to slowly start wrapping this up. We've been going on for about an hour 45, which for is sure, my bad. bad. No, no, no. Hey, you're bad. Don't worry about it. We love hearing from everybody. My two co-hosts kind of had a bail of it. So they're like, I got to go. I got work. Um, Mind if I ask one more question? Absolutely, Sam. What's up? All right. Excluding Alabama, biggest disappointment of the year. Ooh, boy. Gosh. A&M. I uh, A and M is hard to is hard to beat only because of all the hype that the you know the recruiting class that that famous clash between Saban uh, you know all of that stuff you know I remember when we had a show that was actually specifically about the clash between them 
over, you know, the, you know, accusations of recruiting improprieties and things like that. So I, I'd say they're the biggest. I mean, does anyone have another thought on who could be the, the biggest disappointment this season? No, hit it right on the head, in my opinion. No, I was going to lead into the question, like I said, kind of like I said earlier, how many games in before Jimbo's fired next year? <laughs> you know, I kind of reiterate what, what JD has mentioned before on an earlier show, and he sat down, and I thought he was joking, but he actually sat down and looked up the price of oil, and he said, if oil crosses this price, and I forgot what dollar amount it was, I could see Texas A&M pulling that trigger. So... I think maybe we're looking also at, at the economy of oil before before anyone decides to pull the trigger on on all the world we live in, right? Yeah, you know, and th- I think it was also because it was when we were talking mostly about Auburn too, because Auburn's head coach, whoever takes that job, is probably going to demand an equally or at least as close to a Jimbo esque insane buyout. Just well, don't because- forget. Don't, Just don't because they John. know how insane that Auburn job is, you know, you're dealing the, with incredible pressure and they're going to, you know, Harson had to deal with that wild attempt to uh, to, you know, do a coup over the summertime with the or probably over the offseason. Pardon me. Early part of the offseason with the boosters throwing out some wild rumors about him. So whoever goes in there, you know, you're going to be dealing with some some craziness. So I, I wouldn't blame anybody for trying to go for as close to a Jimbo ass kind of buyout. If you take us, that Auburn job, let us not forget though. John Cohen did hire Mike Leach and, and Joe Moorhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, we, us, we, let us not forget. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And that was one of the jokes. So can you imagine Leach? Leach is going to be interesting too. Cause I mean, I'm always, you know, Oh, I forgot who's he got next week. Who's oh, think I, about Leach. Think about Leach in this situation. You're in the same position as Jimbo, obviously not with as much pressure and as much, you know, notoriety, but you're basically in the same year. These are your kids and you're still not winning. <laughs> and no, Jimbo's, Leech, the one get, Jimbo's the one getting all the hate. <laughs> Leach just got his fat little girlfriend, man. He's going to be all right. Oh, I love he went back to that. Oh my gosh. Like I was like, that was like a throwback Leach quote right there. You know, I, gosh, I, Mississippi State, I don't think, I couldn't imagine them being disappointed, though, at this point with Leach. He's wild. Like, he, he yeah. will out of nowhere pull a crazy upset. I'm not saying he's going to beat Georgia or anything. Listen, if, listen, I've lived in Starful. I've worked here for now for 10 years. And if they beat Ole Miss, all is forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes it a great Trust. job for any head coach. Trust. If they beat Ole Miss, all is forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> well, all right. I'm going to go ahead and take this as an opportunity to sort of wrap us up. This was our CFB Talk 108. We had a really long conversation about a lot of topics. I enjoyed We enjoyed hearing from all of you. I mean, and thanks for staying up here, Markham and, and John, Zach, Sam, and all the rest of you who were up here earlier. We enjoyed hearing from you. We enjoyed covering topics from, you know, the MEAC and SWAC to the SEC and Pac-12. We always appreciate hearing from you on Tuesday nights, and we bring up guests on a fairly regular basis. We'll announce them as soon as we're on. As I said, we were hoping to have Sam Khan tomorrow night, although he's having a little bit of an illness. There's this flu going around. He got it from his kid. I know my own kid got it. I'm just hoping I don't get it from him. So <laughs> we'll see when we get that up there, but we'll announce it as soon as we do. So on behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of my co-hosts who had to drop off a little earlier, J.D. Moore and Sirius, thank you all for joining us. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen. Thanks so much for having us on, man. It was a pleasure. Go Tigers. <laughs> Thanks, Go <guys>. Tigers. <laughs>